Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Matthew 13, 52. Matthew 13, 52 comes after the seven kingdom parables where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And Jesus ends with this phrase. He said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure what is new and what is old, and it's easy to just skip over that and say, well, I'm not a scribe, so that doesn't apply to me. But what are scribes? What do scribes do? It does say every scribe. Well, scribes back in the time of Jesus, in fact, from time immemorial all the way up to the 1480s, where they invented the printing press, scribes were your copy machines of old. You wanted a copy of the Bible, you hired a scribe, and he would copy the scroll, every synagogue in Jesus' day. And I tried to do some research on synagogues as to when they were invented, since Deuteronomy, for example, doesn't talk about synagogues. And they seem to have been invented during the intertestamental period when the governing forces, the Greeks and the Romans, did not want large numbers of people gathering at the temple. They felt that was a, a dangerous thing to have all sorts, you know, hundreds of people coming to one place. And so the Jewish people said, okay, and they invented synagogues, which literally means to gather together or gathering together in Hebrew. And they would have smaller groups all over Israel, all over Jerusalem, all over Galilee, all over the Jordan Valley. There would be smaller groups of 50, 60 Jews that would gather, and each one of these synagogues had to have its own copy of the Scriptures. I don't know if you've ever seen it on TV or documentaries when a synagogue meets, they open this big cabinet, and even today, they pull out these two big scrolls, and they carry them to the front, and they open them, and they read from the scrolls in Hebrews. They did that back in Jesus' day. Two big scrolls that were at least the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Every synagogue had to have the full 39 books of the Old Testament available, but usually for reading it was... Deuteronomy or Leviticus or something of that nature. And who wrote these? It was the scribes. If you were building a synagogue, if there were your Jewish population was growing and you needed a new place to meet, you would hire a scribe and say, write for us a scroll, give us a Bible. And they would, and it would take some time. And sometimes you would hire multiple scribes and they would hand copy the Bible. And when they were done, and as they were going, they would have to bring it to the priests. And the priests would have to bless their 
writings. Now you think, man, that's a lot. I mean, I'm looking at my Bible. Would I want to, you know, hand copy all that? But God thought it was very important. In fact, he thought it was so important that he said, if you elect a king to the Jewish people, the king has to do one thing. And when he sits, the king, on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book the copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. So part of the job of a king of Israel was to take the scrolls of the Old Testament and write out in his own writing the first five books of the Bible and then he would rule from that, from his own copy. And it said, approved by the Levitical priest. He couldn't just, you know, scribble anything. He had had to be signed and signed off by the Levitical priest to make sure he was doing good. We know that Saul did this. We know that David, we know that Solomon did this. There is no talk of Rehoboam or Jeroboam after the split of the kingdom or anybody past them was doing it. In fact, several kings that came into power in the Jewish uh, line had no knowledge of the book of the law, and so they clearly didn't make a copy for themselves. And so when we're looking at this and we say, okay, so scribes get this, they have this knowledge of the Bible, and if they add to the knowledge of the Bible, the new covenant, and that is what Jesus is talking about when he says treasures that are new and old. The old is the Old Testament. The new is the new covenant, the New Testament which is being written. Now, 2,000 years later, we have in one bound book the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have the law and the new covenant. And the question is, can we be so into it, as it were, so involved in the Christian life that I can be somebody who produces treasures out of my experience and my knowledge that are both very old and very new. And for us, the very old would be the teachings in Scripture, and I think the new would be our testimonies would be our stories about how Christ has impacted us. And if we can bring those things out, then we have an opportunity when we share and talk with people to make the truths of God very real, very uh, hands-on as it were. We can be somebody who can give treasures to people who are seeking God. And so, if we look at ourselves, we claim to be believers in Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says. We are already in a different kingdom. We are sojourners. We are strangers in a foreign land in America because we are citizens of the kingdom of God, but we are living in America and functioning as citizens of America. And so we can ask the question, what sort of things, what sort of practices, what sort of activities do we partake of as members of the kingdom of God? 
And how will that help us bring out treasures that are both new and old? And when I talk about a practice as of the kingdom of God, if we think about practices that we have as being an American, if you go to, uh, if you go to the store and you pull out ringgits or you bring out pesos and you try to pay for your milk with currency of another country, most likely they will say, no, nah, it's got to be American. Don't you have a piece of plastic? Because that's what they want nowadays more than ever. And so we use American money. We drive on the right-hand side of the road. If you're in another country, if you're in England, you would drive on the left-hand side of the road. That would be their practice. That would be what they do in their country. And so there are things that we do as Americans that show that we are Americans, show that we are participating in the American experiment. And is there anything like that for the kingdom of God? And I think there is. If you look through Scripture, uh, there are four basic categories of things that the citizen of the kingdom of God will do that will be part of their life, that will be part of their practice. Modern writers will use phrases like spiritual formation. Spiritual formation are things that you do to conform your spirit to the image of God. These are things that are done as citizens of the kingdom of God. And so uh, I've, I've heard some ser sermons that call this Kingdom living. I mean, people throw all sorts of words and titles to be clever on these things, but they are very basic default things that we do as citizens of the kingdom of God. And the first one is, you're involved in a local church. This one has fallen under disrepute, especially during covid there seems to be conflicts as to whether this is a good thing that we are doing when we are together or whether this is a super spreader event. Okay, our governor said it's a super spreader event. And so he shut down all the churches and the Supreme Court says you can't do that. Then he said, okay, I'll limit the size of churches. And the Supreme Court says you can't do that. One reason the Supreme Court said you can't do that is the First Amendment said Government cannot involve themselves in our practice of religion. And one of our basic tenets is that if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, you gather together with other citizens of the kingdom of God. We meet on Sunday because the church in Acts said, well, the Jews meet on Saturday, but Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Sunday so they started the practice of meeting on Sunday, which is in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you are ever wondering why we picked Sunday, that's why, because that is when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, some people have said, and I've had people say this to my face, church doesn't matter. Church doesn't save you. Yes, you're correct. Church doesn't save you. There will be people who have gone to church who will stand before Jesus Christ at the end of time and he will say, I do not know you because going to church does not save you. 
Going to church is a result, it is a response of being saved. And there's two reasons why we need to go to church. There's two reasons why going home and getting church off of Facebook or off of a website does not work biblically. It's not that Jesus didn't know about Facebook or didn't know about websites. It's just that the structure that was put in Scripture cannot be maintained as an audience, cannot be maintained just watching somebody else do things. And the first thing that happens in the New Testament in church is the gifts of the Spirit. There are gifts of the Spirit. They are in Ephesians. They are in 1 Corinthians. They, people estimate that there are like 27 of them. You have teachers and administrators and givers and things of this nature. And these are all gifts of the Spirit. If you are a believer and you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you at least one gift. There is a discussion as to how many you get or if they change. But you get a gift when you become a believer and that gift only works in church. If you, are, if you have the spiritual gift of teaching, for example, you cannot use that at the local community college. You can't go down to Chabot and say, I've got the spiritual gift of teaching. They'll think you're weird. Okay? And if you teach there and you're a good teacher, that has nothing to do with the spiritual gift of teaching. You can gain skills as a teacher that can be used in multiple places, but the spiritual teaching, the spiritually guided teaching, only happens in a church with other Christians. Okay? If I am not in church, my spiritual gift is shut down. The second thing that happens is that throughout the New Testament, there is a phrase that is called one another. You love one another, you honor one another, you bear one another's burdens. You can, in your Bible, every time you see one another in the New Testament, write Christian above it because all of those statements are given to believers. I do not have to honor like Christ honors me non-Christians. I must love them because I love my enemies, but I can give you an honor if you are a believer that can only come between two Christians. Now in your bulletin is a list of all the one another commands that are in Scripture. And you can look, and you can put that on your refrigerator, and you can say, well, I'm going to try to do this today, and I'm going to try to do that today. And these are how Christians act to one another. These are how Christians treat one another. It isn't for you in the grocery store, unless you are sure that the guy checking out your groceries is a Christian, but it is not for you in the world, it is for you here. And if you refuse to go and meet as a church, then you are missing all the one another commands. You are being disobedient because you cannot do that in any other place where people come together with one mind and one spirit 
and that is church. We need to form relationships in church so that we can do the one another things to one another. The second thing is study and know your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible every day. I've said read your Bible every day. Some people say I don't have time. I don't understand that one. But you've got to read your Bible every day. You've got to study your Bible. It is the Word of God. The Bible says about itself, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We also know from 2 Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every work. No other book in the world can say, you can say that about. Now, you can't say you can't read. Your eyes are failing. We live in an amazing time where you can get on your phone a thousand different Bible apps, and most of them will read to you. Most of them you can just plug into your Bluetooth and drive and have somebody read Genesis to you. And it's great, and that counts, because back in Jesus' day, scribes were expensive, and you couldn't, as an individual, hire a scribe to write your Bible you had to go to the synagogue or the temple and have somebody read it to you. And that was considered righteous and holy back then. It's righteous and holy today. We have the printing press was invented. Therefore, we have printed Bibles. I would say Bibles flow like water. In America, you can't you know, do anything without finding a Bible. They even got Bibles on little kiosks at Walmart. I mean, there's Bibles everywhere. You can get Bibles on your electronic devices. You can get a Bible on your watch. You can get Bibles everywhere, and they will talk. They will read to you, and that's fine. That's great. There's no reason why anybody today can't, while they're doing dishes or doing chores or driving, hit play on a Bible app and have the Bible read to you. That is, I mean, God has made this so insanely easy for us today, and we say, I don't have time to read the Bible. Uh, there are several apps that you can read with people, where several people can sign up. I have a pastor friend, and both of us read through the Bible app on the, you know, the same way and gives us a chance to talk about it. We know we're reading the same thing. I mean, it's all there. It's everywhere. You say, but, but I don't understand the Bible. Okay, well, point one. Then you come to church. You come to church because we talk about the Bible, we explain the Bible, but there's also things like sermon audio. Sermon audio has... Man, they've got to have 500,000 sermons on there. Absolutely free. The people who put sermons up there are the ones who pay. And so you can listen to sermons, and you can listen to sermons from very old, from the 40s if you want, from the 30s, or you can listen to something from last week and 
Pastors all over America, all over the world, are uploading their sermons to Sermon Audio. And once again, you can get that app on your computer or your phone, and you can set it to play a sermon and then get in your car and drive or start doing dishes or do whatever and get the Word of God put into your heart, put into your mind, put into your um, being throughout the day, throughout the week, so that church and the Bible teaching that goes on here is just one more day of teaching because you've already had six others this week. And there's, I mean, this is just an example. I did a search of apps, of sermons, and man, there's got to be 10,000. There's every major big pastor, your John MacArthur's, your John Piper, your Boyce, your, your people who have big churches, they all put their sermons online and have their own apps, but it's, I don't know, it's just, there is no reason, there is no excuse. God has opened every single door for you to get Bible and teaching into your head and into your heart that there is no reason why we shouldn't be doing it. There is no reason why we shouldn't avail ourselves of this. Uh, back when I was a tot, back when I was, I was raised in this church in Sunday school, and back when I was raised in this church in Sunday school, two ladies that are still here today, about 15 ladies taught me this, but two of them are still here today, they said, measure how much time you're watching TV and measure how much time you're reading the Bible. And if the Bible time is less than TV time, you're doing it wrong, basically. That you having the wrong sort of input into your mind. And so we can do that too. We can do it because every modern phone is now tracking your time of what you're doing. If you have an iPhone, it's called screen time, and I don't know what it's called on Android. But you can actually look at your phone and say, what app do I use the most? And you can smile if it says Bible or Sermon Audio, but if it says some game or something, then eh, maybe you need to work on that. Uh, there are ways that you can monitor yourself if you want to. Some people say, ah, that's legalistic. No, because I'm not saying that you're getting saved by this, but I'm saying you're growing in this. If you avail yourself to all of these apps and all these services and all these Bibles, you are growing. You are growing in the kingdom and you are training your mind in the things of God. The third thing is we need to pray. We need to pray every day. We pray to God. Prayer is just talking with God. As I said before, I tend to pray through lists. If you give me a prayer request, I will immediately forget it. I have lots of things going on. Uh, I have an office that I've got to fix. I mean, there's all sorts of things going on in this church administratively that if you give me a prayer request, I will write it down. I will write it on a piece of paper or I will put it in my phone and I will add it to a list. And I go through that list to 
bring my memory back as to what I said I would pray about and the things I'm praying about. It isn't that I'm uh, just reading a list and saying, done, it is a memory device because I have too much going on in my head. And you can do that, or if you have a great memory and you honestly remember when somebody says, pray for my knee, then you do that and you pray for that person's knee. You never say, yes, I'll pray for you, and then don't. That's lying, and we don't do that, okay? If you don't have time, eh, tell them you don't have time to pray, which I think is odd. There are books and classes and YouTube videos and apps and websites and everything to teach you how to pray. There are more formulas for prayer out there than there are people praying. If a formula works for you, fantastic. It's a door open for you. There, is a, there are hundreds of thousands of open doors to get you into prayer. There are YouTube videos where you can pray along with the guy in the YouTube video. If you don't like to pray by yourself or don't know how to pray, uh, there was one that I came across the other day, the guy's praying through the Psalms. And if you think, huh, that's interesting and it would help, you can actually put on a YouTube video. Now, God is timeless. So the fact that that YouTube video was created five years ago, it's still a valid legal prayer when you pray along with them, when you pray in their presence. God is timeless. God doesn't care as long as we pray, as long as we pray our heart, as long as we pray scripture, as long as we pray something talking to God. Uh, some people have said you need to pray through your Bible reading. So you're, you're reading the Bible and there's something interesting, I pray about it. Or there's something convicting, I pray about it. And you mix prayer and Bible reading together and that's fine. And the fourth and the last is we need to share what we're doing. Verse 52 says that the owner of the house will bring out treasures both old and new, he's bringing it out to show it to somebody. He's bringing it out to share it with somebody. He's bringing it out to give it to somebody. And as we are building up this treasure of knowledge and experience as citizens of the kingdom of God, we need to tell people. I try to talk to everybody I meet about something to do with God. The, the, the way in that I use is I ask them where they go to church. Okay? Very simple. I've never, ever, ever had somebody be so offended they went away in a huff. People just say, I don't, or I used to, but I don't, uh, or I'm Hindu, or whatever they say. People are very open to the question, do you go to church or where do you go to church? And that's kind of how I get the door open. And if they keep it open by wanting to talk more, then I talk more. If they just shut it down, well, I'm done sharing. And I am not required by scripture 
to beat the gospel into anybody. I'm required in Scripture to wait for opportunities. The Bible uses the word opportunity. I need to be ready when an opportunity comes to say something. And if you, if you don't have any words, we got three or four tracks out on the table that you can take a handful and you can keep them in your purse, keep them in your pocket. And if somebody, if an opportunity presents and you are tongue-tied, pull out the tract and read it with them. That's how we used to do it back in the day. That's how I was trained to do it in the 60s and the 70s, is you have a four spiritual laws always in your pocket, and if somebody asks you about God, you go through the tract with them. Today it seems to be we need to have our own story, we need to have a testimony, but you can also do the tract. The tract will give you a direction, will give you the words to say, and it's, and it's free. Back on the table back there, another door that's open for you. Take as many as you want. We will get more. And so the conclusion is that you are a citizen of a kingdom that is not called America, that is not called the world. It is called the kingdom of God. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God, and if you are truly a citizen of the kingdom of God, you will be a citizen of the kingdom of God for all eternity. And as a citizen of the kingdom of God, we take church seriously, we take our Bible seriously, we take prayer seriously, and we take sharing seriously. And these are four foundational basic things that we do as members of the kingdom of God. And when it's all said and done, when you look at your life after years of doing this, you will see that you are able to pull out treasures, both old and new, and show them to people and share them with people. Show them to people in the church. Show them to people in the grocery store, at the doctor's office. Show them to everybody. And in doing so, we can invite more and more people into the kingdom of God as God directs us and gives us opportunity. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this and we thank you that there are activities and things we can do in the kingdom of God and that doing so, we can glorify you and we can throw life preservers to those who need saving. Lord, we praise you for all of these things and ask your blessing on the remainder of the day. We ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.